Hello and welcome back to the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News, alongside virtually, that is, Patrick Williams of the AHL.com. Coming to you live from the outskirts of the Elite Eight, down to four series is left. And Pat, this is where the big boys come to play, hey? Yeah, now we're, uh, we've cleared the field out a little bit. Two-thirds of the team almost uh, started uh, really only three weeks ago are, are now off uh, uh, on their way home or at home. And uh, now we're down to kind of, I think, the real serious contenders, you know, the teams that, you know, we had a good feeling would be here. Uh, mm-hmm. along with a couple surprises as well. Throughout this season of, of the show, like the first that, there's been a lot of themes. And, you know, one of them is kind of, I'm sure listeners will pick up on kind of teams that I've been into, teams that you've been into sort of uh, and high on at certain points. And, the you know, right now we're at a point where it's Texas versus Milwaukee in the Central Division Finals. Uh, Milwaukee's a team that I've been big on, but you've been always really pumping the tires of Texas, who's our team of the week, uh, the t- Texas Stars are, what is it that gives you such confidence in them going into this round? Kind of what they could do after a sweep against Rockford. They're they're not a team that 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 is prone to those highs and lows and those inconsistencies. I think um, that's such a challenge at this level for, for a few reasons. One of which is just the inexperience and the youth of of the players, and the second thing is just simply the roster changes. Right, like you're a head coach, right, and you. you you finally get your team in place, you get your systems down, and then inevitably somebody comes and kind of knocks knocks them over, like you know, like a chessboard almost. Um, they really haven't had that issue this season, right? Like they were they were consistent almost start to finish. Uh, I believe their their longest losing streak this season was was two games, which I mean, well, how know, long were they were they ever not in first place the central? Uh, yes, they, them and Milwaukee kind of went back and forth, uh, neck and neck, uh, for, for, for a good portion of the season. Uh, that was less a reflection on any sort of struggle that, that, uh, Texas had and more right. just Milwaukee just, uh, being a real good team. And Milwaukee was sort of the opposite. Milwaukee had these huge roster swings, roster changes at times. Milwaukee seemed a little bit more, um, to run hot and cold. Um, kind of a little bit opposite from Texas in that regard. So, um, you know, Milwaukee would go on those, you know, those big streets and then, you know, you know, have, have a dip, you know, like at one point they, they lost or they were winless, I should say five out of six, for example, right. Mid season. Uh, so, so yeah, Texas though, like, I mean, to have your longest losing streak of the season be two games in this league. It is practically unheard of, right? You right. Know, especially in a league where you're, you're you're playing three and three weekends, right? Like those losses can come at you quickly. Uh, so that's uh, that's a big reason why I've been high on them. They're just like they're very kind of steady, um, and you don't you don't um, get too many surprises with what they're going to bring you on a night to night basis. And then meanwhile, you've got Milwaukee, who they're a classic case of you see teams like this all the time where you have the elite talents and everything. And then you have an influx of guys that have been papered and you have this mix of guys and you have to kind of figure out, okay, what's our playoff lineup. I think for a bit, they were figuring that out uh, through the first round. Um, you know, Joachim Kamel was suspended for the first games and then they won the first game. So they're not going to put him in, got him in for the last three games. Things started rolling from there as well. So it's an interesting contrast in this series because Texas is very much the sort of well-tuned final oiled machine that we've seen pretty much 
the same personnel throughout the year, the exception of like Thomas Harley, who also they lost. Is that it? Um, for the most part, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know they they had guys go up and down at, at different points, but uh, but my yeah, point, Pat, is meanwhile Milwaukee has all their guys and whatnot, but plus they almost have additions. Like Janikowski played five games with them this year. Yeah, he was like he was papered down. Uh, Sherwood was was at least half the year was with the NHL team. So those are big additions, but there's a lot of moving parts there. I'm interested to see how these two teams size up, mainly because, I don't know, I'm still really high on Milwaukee. I just think that it's another challenge for them, but they have the personnel to do it. Uh, the, the question I would ask is, will a lack of star power affect Texas? That's my main question going to the series. That's a fair question. Um I mean, they do have they have some weapons. Like Riley Barber is a at this level a, a proven, proven sniper. I mean, he's he's good for thirty goals. Curtis McKenzie um, is uh, he's been to three finals. He's won once uh, back in his rookie year. He's a kind of a winner through and through. Um, if Alex Petrovic, um, you know, so so maybe what they lack a little bit in their quote you know quote unquote star power, uh, they make up for. I think. I love their depth. Um, you know, I go through that lineup, but I just, I don't, you know, you try to pick apart the lineup a little bit and see, all right, where are the weak spots? And yeah. I don't really see one. Well, I will say, Riley Barber, I should I should have given him more respect to his name. He does, since 2021, he got like the third most goals in the AHL with 60, yeah. only behind Marty Furk and Matthew Phillips, who are probably the two best goal scorers in the league. And that's why they're number one and two for a reason. So that's a fair point. I guess, I guess maybe I'm bullish about, Nashville's prospects and what they have there but this is as we said at the beginning this is the time when you see how there's a real there's a real difference in the boys and the men right there's mm-hmm. a real difference between the guys that are on the brink of the NHL in terms of status and pedigree and and upside and people that you know could probably step into an NHL lineup tomorrow yes so th- that divide there is very clear but granted for Milwaukee too they've got guys like Cole Schneider and other AHL veterans and pieces that are there to kind of stabilize the ship. So I will say that as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be a heck of a series. I think it's going to go to the full, I mean, five games. I guess oh, I my only, so uh, I guess my only wish is that, you know, it could be a seven game best of seven. Uh, I just know. because I think, uh, you know, these are two, these are two really undercover good teams. And, I um, you know, I think styles make fights and, and um, you know, that's a great example, right? Like, I think Milwaukee is a potentially really dangerous team, right? We, we saw them, um, you know, they had their hiccups against Manitoba, but really when they needed to come through, they, they delivered, right? And, um, you know, Askarov and Nett is, is, I think, starting to find his way. You know, he's getting, I think, a sense of uh, what the Carter Cup playoffs are all about. And, you know, the, the ability, I mean, this is a, remember, the, the one big difference with the Colorado Cup playoffs is if you play back-to-back nights, right? So um, that means if you're a goalie um, and you're the number one and they're going to ride you, you're playing back-to-back nights. So that's a little bit of a wrinkle. I think that that's different uh, from the NHL. Um, and to his credit, uh, he's handled it really well. Um, he bounced back uh, from a couple of losses, you know, overtime losses, but losses all the same. And, um, they twice faced elimination and uh, came through it both times. I'll give him credit for the fact that a guy that's very, you know, eccentric and erratic kind of and exciting, he's really tamed it down in the playoffs on a lot of fronts. I think that's important. 
obviously I'm all here for like goalies like scoring hatties on empty nets or whatever everyone likes to do these days. But, you know, there is something to be said about when it's the playoffs, you need a goalie you can trust, and nothing is more, at least to me, more cringeworthy than when you see a goalie. I'm thinking of Mikel Burden off the top of my head, but a guy that just wants to play the puck so bad, almost to a detriment. To Sakharov's, or Sakharov's credit, um, he really has not done that, and he's been rock solid. And I talked to Scott Nickel uh, when they were in Winnipeg, and that's the uh, Admirals GM. He made a point that when Askarov came over, he thought he was kind of swimming at first. He was kind of just, and when he says that, it's kind of like who I think about is Garrett Sparks, a guy that was a good AHL goalie, wasn't able to become an NHL regular, where they're able to make these crazy saves and do stuff, but they're kind of, they're, they're all reactionary, and they're not really in good position. So we're seeing a lot more sturdiness from Zakharov, and that's kind of where my optimism lies, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's that athleticism, right? Like, totally. You know, and, 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 and goalies can get by with that, you know, to some sure. extent, and for for a certain period, until opponents figure out that, and that's the thing about the playoffs, right? Like you, you have anywhere from five to seven games now uh, to dissect uh, every single thing about your opponent, be it the goalie, be it the power play, whatever. Um, and, it, and if you don't have those fundamentals down, if you don't have your positioning down as a goalie, yeah, certainly, uh, you know, a Riley Barber, a McKenzie, you know, uh, guys like that are just, gonna, you know, they're going to dissect you, pick you apart and uh, end that series quickly. Last thing I will say, the best of five starts in Milwaukee on Friday and Saturday. And then the next three are in Texas. I have to say, having watched the first round, Milwaukee fans seem awesome. I give them a shout out. The It's kind of brutal, but the uh, the copycat of Nashville's, hey, you suck. It's all your fault, was especially brutal after the Declan Chisholm, Vili Hainola bobble into the net, and uh, which was the game winner of that deciding game. Uh, and the you suck towards Chisholm was pretty gutless, but I gotta say, Milwaukee fans have some serious passion. <laughs> they do. It's a, it's a good hockey town. It's, totally. I think it's a little bit underrated. You know, it goes under the radar. Um, it's also got an old barn. It kind of plays that. Oh cool yeah, feeling. it's it's oh, got definitely a... an old barn. Yeah, that that uh, Panther Arena goes back uh, to the fifties, yeah. and uh, it certainly has that that vibe and that feel to it. So, but yeah, it's a fun hockey town. It's a good hockey town. Um, there's a lot of tradition there, right? Like. Totally. It's the third longest affiliation going. And they just signed a two-year deal, actually. Yeah. So, and, uh, and that's not know, changing anytime soon. Yeah. So they've, uh, you know, the, both sides know know each other. Um, the fans in Milwaukee are invested in seeing their players go to Nashville and, and following their career. So, yeah, it's been very successful there. And I, I, I agree with you. It's a very good environment there. Let's move on to the North Division. Um, you know, with... Toronto, you know, we talked a bit about this before air. There was kind of a, a sort of uneasiness about them. They kind of stumbled the finish line of the regular season. And Utica is another team where we wondered, maybe they're a sleeper here. Kind of the sense of they got, you know, sort of an advantage. Maybe obviously New Jersey was still in the playoffs, but there was just, they were better going into the, the end of the season. And now Toronto finds himself in a position where they're playing Rochester. They're probably a lot happier than if they were playing Syracuse. Like, Rochester is more run-and-gun like them, and I think that's going to be... A track meet will be something they could win, whereas Syracuse would probably grind them down, I think. I think that's a fair assessment, yeah. I would I agree th- with that. Yeah, like I think... So So from Charles' perspective, Pat, like, you know, do they have the inside track against Rochester, given they had, you know, they finished first and, and everything in the regular season, or are these two different hockey teams? How do you look at this series from the onset? This one... <laughs> This one is difficult because it's not one, but two teams that I just don't quite understand. 
right? And I think for different reasons, like they're both. Start with Toronto. Start with Toronto. Uh, they're, they're Toronto. Like, okay. so Toronto got, you know, for the first four months of the season, Toronto was one of the strongest teams in the league. And then they got picked apart at the NHL deadline, right? Like the Leafs obviously having to go for it. And, yeah. um, you know, that certainly had an effect on things, but uh, they struggled mightily down the stretch, yeah. right? Like had they not had the lead that they had built up, um, which at one point was up to uh, I believe 19 points. Um, yeah. They could have been a bit, a lot of trouble, right? Like they, the last solid month of the season, right? They won twice. In the entire uh, that entire stretch in a month, right, and, and one of those wins was the last game of the year against Belleville, a team that was uh, done for the season, right. So um, then they come into the playoffs, right? They, they, they face Utica, they get engaged in this game one, run and gun, right? Like Utica takes a big lead, Toronto manages to come back, pull that win out. Then they then they're blown out in game two, and you're thinking, okay. This looks like more of the same from, from the regular season. And then they go into Utica, right? Eric Shogun comes in uh, back from the Leafs in net, and they take two games in, in one of really one of the toughest barns in the entire league. Um, so, uh, and it, it's not necessarily the, um, the big guns with that mm-hmm. team that have uh, completely gotten the job done uh, in the playoffs. It's been, it's been a lot of role players. It's been like a Ryan Chazelski uh, stepping up, which certainly you need. Um, but, uh, you know, you haven't necessarily, um, you know, like a Radim Zahorna hasn't, uh, you know, produced right. a whole lot offensively. So it, it's, uh, you know, and well, I think that other, Adam Gaudet did before he was traded. Yes. And, and now the, the other um, real big curveball I see potentially for the Marlies is does Joseph Wall come back? Like right. if the Leafs go out tonight or Saturday, for example, that's a good point. Actually, um, he is things. eligible to come down to the Marlies, and I think he would. Um, oh, that sure. would change things dramatically, right? Like all of a sudden, now you have uh, one of the top goalies in the league, and so now if somehow the Leafs manage to at least prolong the series, or maybe <laughs> by some miracle they managed to, to come back and, and take the series against Florida that would obviously be a different story so so that's the Toronto side of things now you have Rochester right like that's another team right like uh, consistently inconsistent and yep. when they're on they look great but they're a team even within games it's almost you get this Jekyll and Hyde right like um, first two periods of game five in Syracuse they look like they have it locked down um they're they're clearly heeding all all the pregame messages from Seth Apper, right? Right. Game uh, third period happens, they fall apart, right? They're out. I believe they're outshot uh, twenty to two down the stretch, right? So uh, they managed to pull the win out in overtime on the power play, uh, but they're a team, right? Like um, one night they score eight eight goals. Um, the game before that, they go an entire period without a shot, right? So right. Uh, you just have a team that really, like, you know, one night to the next, and this is obviously common with young teams, that um, you just don't know what you're getting, right? And uh, I have no, no doubt that, uh, you know, Seth Appert, uh, kind of if you gave him the truth serum, would probably admit how uh, how difficult that is as a head coach. But uh, yeah, um, so that I don't have a great feel for this series. Just It really depends which teams show up and for how long do they show up. Well, the wall point actually 
really changes things. Like, yeah. if you, so let's pretend right now in a universe where the people listening have just seen that the Leafs, you know, got eliminated last night to uh, Florida. They got swept. Wall entering the equation probably really tilts us in Toronto's favor. I would yeah. have to think because that's a goaltender that can win you a series. Yeah. And as I just said, given this will be a track meet of sorts, both teams will be trading chances. You want to have the better goaltender. So that I, I think that is a complete game changer. Now the question, the question yeah. becomes how quickly can you get him back? Right? Like, well, let's, let's pretend. Up, okay. So are you saying, you're saying the question becomes when they get him, if and when. Yeah. Like if the Leafs manage to maybe stretch this thing out to six games, for example. Right. Sure. Um, that would intersect. Y'all check the schedule. We're only talking a, a five game series, right? So no, for sure. All of a sudden now you're eating up two, maybe three games. Depending on kind of where the series stands, you maybe get him back for four and five. But, you know, if the series, if you're already up against, you know, you know the brink of elimination, that's where that could be difficult. So there's so many moving parts here. And this is really a classic example. We've talked about this many times, but just how it's not just your team, right? It's your parent team. What are they doing? Uh, yeah. Kind of, you know, how they can change the entire dynamic of, of your season and really especially all the more so in the playoffs where we're talking a, a five-game series match. Just to give some context, Wall has a 16-4-1 record with the Marlies this year and a 9-27 save percentage. So those are those are all-star numbers. That's why he was, was in the all-star game. One more guy that's a game changer here also for Toronto is Topi Niembla, a defenseman that, you know, uh, came over at the end of the 2022-23 season, the end of the season. And he hasn't skipped a beat. He was a top defenseman in Liga. He's come over. He's got three points in four games, well above 60%. He's at 65% expected goals, 63% Corsi, according to Instat data. Paired with, with Jordy Ben on a second pairing, he's been great. He, he has top four defensemen written all over him. Good puck handler, poised, smart. I think his skills are good enough for him to be sort of a puck transporter at the next level. And as he continues to get confidence under his wing, like that's a player that I could see becoming a sort of difference maker that makes you go, wait, who is this guy? But he's already kind of arrived. I think Topi Niemela is going to be a good fixture in Toronto's lineup in a year or two, and this could be his breaking out party. Really yeah, um, a really nice find, you know, third rounder, right? Like, um, you know, which third round, obviously there's some potential there, but um, I, I love the fact that he comes from that, that, that car pot uh, program over, uh, in Finland, you know, one of the top perennial, um, real successful uh, producers of, of uh, that well-honed, well-produced, um, uh, detailed talent, right? Like a lot of Finnish players, right? Like they arrive in the AHL and they're not a finished product necessarily, but they're, um, they're much further along than a lot of junior and uh, college players. So, I think he's a great example of that only 21 years old, but uh, obviously very mobile. Um, a guy that's uh, he's smart. Uh, that's he stands out out there. Like he, yeah, he, you notice him. He does things that others can't. That's kind of a basic way to say it, but it's true. You watch yeah. him, you're like his edge work, his puck handling. It's kind of got that pop to it. His poise. Uh, yeah, that's the totally. thing that that stands out to me. Like that's one of the first things I notice with young defensemen at this level, right? Like, do they have that poise or? Is every shift kind of a yeah, you know, guessing game? Too. They're a 
a guessing game or timid or you're kind of like holding your breath waiting you know you know how's this shift going to go like you know he's got kind of that common presence right and like that's a good sign at, at a young age uh, and i think it's a reflection of, of the fact he's already played you know some you know high level pro action you know already going back now four years so uh i think if you're the least you have to be really encouraged especially him coming over late in the year yeah. and now having to jump into the playoffs right like you know he's only had you know what six games uh in the regular season just to kind of even get acquainted uh now he's uh, thrown into the fire with, with, with the playoffs and, and he's not just handling i think he's uh he's more than handling it. he's excelling and, and i think that ben niembla duo has been amazing you know yeah. jordy ben has been a lot better than i think you would expect the hl level he at least, and you see this a lot with defensemen that are sort of meat and potatoes at NHL level. Once they get a bit of runway at the NHL level, you'll be like, hey, they can handle the puck. They can be kind of yeah. a stay-at-home guy at this level and whatnot, given the opportunity. And him and Yemla, like, on paper, it's like, okay, you got a, the shutdown guy, the guy that can kind of take more risks and, and drive play forward. And it's working out exactly as you'd want it to. So that could be a big key for Toronto as a whole as well in this series. Let's move down to the next division. Let's go to the Pacific. Uh, this is a a matchup we've been kind of queuing up for a while now, and it's come to fruition. Calgary versus Coachella. Two best teams in the AHL are either wonderfully or, or horribly. Like, I don't know which way you're to look at it, but they're both in the same division. So they're meeting around two, and it's tough because what was the stat you told me about Coachella's eight games? How many of them have been elimination uh, games? They've already played three elimination games in eight uh, games, two series in eight games. Yeah. So uh, that's a that's team that, an, you know, that's an amazing know, stat. I mean, there are teams in the playoffs, like, like Texas have only played three games the entire pole season. Right. Like, so they, they've only kind of only gotten their feet wet. Right. And now you have a team like Coachella. That's um, not only yeah, their they, backs they, against the wall three times, yeah, three times, uh, two of them against Colorado, uh, a yeah. real, a real solid opponent. Uh, and I think most impressively about Coachella Valley is that uh, not only did they come out and, and win those games, but really, especially in that, that first round against Tucson and then this uh, clinching win in uh, the Colorado series, they came in, they just blew them off the ice. Like It's like when they decide, okay, we're ending this series, they have that ability to take it over and, and, and really kind of impose uh, how they want to play on their opponent. Uh, I don't think they'll have quite that margin of error against a team like Calgary. You certainly better not try to uh, yeah. duplicate that again against a team like Calgary gets a goalie like Dustin Wolf. Um, but I do think it, it gives them a little bit of confidence, a little bit of that, that uh, sense that, uh, you know, we've been on the break now three times and we've managed to, uh, to educate ourselves uh, for you know, pre- pretty bad situations, right? Like they could have, easily any one of those games um you know not you know not showing up for a period or two and let it kind of come down to a bounce or a one goal game but i think yeah to their credit they went in there and just you know all right we're ending this and we're not going to let this um kind of drag out cole lind leads the team and the entire AHL with 11 points in eight games what have you made of his hot start to the postseason yeah, I like it. You know, like he had a really good season, tied for sixth in the league in goals, uh, thirty goal season. You know, like um, he's kind of gotten a new lease on life. I think coming over, he came uh, to Seattle um, via the expansion draft back in twenty one, and 
Um, he had been in the Vancouver system for a bit, and I didn't think he really ever grew there. Um, so he comes to Seattle, uh, had a good year last year in Charlotte with a split affiliation. Uh, they're now kind of uh, with their own operation there in Coachella. He's uh, he's really taking it right with it. I think he's he's custom built for the playoffs. He plays that kind of abrasive, um, chippy game, um, and certainly he has uh, he had, he had shown at times some scoring touch, but uh, you know this season I think he really unlocked it. So I think I, it's been impressive watching him, especially especially with uh, Ty Carkey. They like they needed somebody to not just step up a little bit, but like kind take of fill their role and take on the Cartier load as well. And uh, Lynn and Max McCormick, the captain there, have more than done that. Absolutely. Now Calgary. Um, are they almost at a disadvantage? The fact that they've had, yeah, you know, Abbotsford gave them a hard time, don't get me wrong, but a much different path to getting to this point through the postseason than Coachella's. Would that put them at a disadvantage, you'd think? Normally I would say, yeah, but, you know, that Abbotsford series, that was a rough one. That was tough, and it was it was nasty, and it was chippy. And, uh, you know, the first two games went to overtime, uh, one of which Calgary had to come back from a 3-1 deficit. Um, the other one was they were playing without Matthew Phillips for, for you know, the last 50 or so minutes of the game. Uh, they managed to get those games. They lost game three on the road. Then they come in. They, they had to close out another one-goal game, uh, and they did so. Abbotsford, which, you know, sold out building uh, there, you know, that Canucks Flames rivalry certainly cut carries down to the, to the AHL level between the teams. They played when 12 times. Are eliminated especially too. Yes. Right? So you you were facing a, a fully stocked, fully loaded um, Abbotsford club, you know, including Christian Willan and, and you handled them. So where I would have been really concerned is had they just kind of waltzed through, you know, uh, uh, you know, Three, three games a week, almost like Texas did with Rockford, where they weren't tested that much. Mm-hmm. That, for me, would have been a concern, especially um, having to come in now and play a, a Coachella team that has been tested. But uh, yeah. I, I do think they'll, they'll they'll be ready, right? Like, it's a Mitch Love coach team, back-to-back coach of the year. Um, you know, he'll certainly have them um, set. I think the bigger challenge for them is, so the first two games are in Calgary, and then they go down to Coachella for three. So um, Don't get they started. like that. Yeah, they like that format in Calgary. Like the, the only home. team to do it, right? To yeah, pick it? right. Yeah, so um, they did that against Abbotsford. It's a it's a gutsy move, I think. Um, you know, now if you can get if you can get that two zero lead in the series, it's great. Now the problem is if it's one one or. or even if you go down 0-2, you're in a real bind then, right? Like trying to go down to their building and, and win three in a row. Like it, it yeah. can be done, uh, as we saw with Syracuse and Rochester, but um, it's it's not something I would advise, right? Like, you know, so um, certainly against both teams, right? Like, you know, both neither team is going to give the other one any sort of leeway, any margin for her. I don't think these are teams that are going to beat themselves. Yeah. You're going to have to beat them. Um, so... Uh, I guess it's a shame that just, you know, we're going to have one of the top two teams out uh, fairly early. Let me ask you a question. So Walker Dewar, for example, mm-hmm. had a great run with the Flames for at the end of the regular season, signed a two-year deal, actually, before the playoffs. He's at one point in four games. Phil Tomasino had a great run with Nashville at the end of the year. Comes back, he's at one point in five playoff games. 
people and coaches. I talked to Carl Taylor today for a story. I talked to a lot of coaches throughout the year. They always talk about how there's an adjustment going from the NHL to AHL. But in my from my vantage point, I see the biggest adjustment is that sort of NHL to AHL jump, but particularly with the playoffs. Why is that? Why is it that you're going from the NHL to the AHL playoffs that you can be a bit snake bitten? How do things change for players? Uh, different role, for example. Um, that's one. Number two is uh, different workload. Let's say, like, maybe you're playing eight to 10 minutes in the NHL, and now you're asked to come in, maybe play 18 to 20, maybe more than that, uh, depending on the team. Um, it can be tough. I, you know, you just even sort of getting that chemistry back. I mean, you know, maybe just with some players, it can be a little bit of a letdown feeling, right? Like you've been kind of riding that NHL wave and now you're back in the AHL again, even if it is the playoffs, uh, some players yeah, uh, sure. find it difficult to kind of get revved up for it. If you're get revved up, it. especially, yeah. you know, this is a team now that like, if you've been away for a while, yeah, right, you're not exactly. necessarily completely emotionally invested in, in kind of their battle, and now you're you're showing up, and yeah, you have to sort of muster up that that uh, that intensity and, and that, uh, that you gotta almost Michael connection. Jordan it. You gotta almost yeah. Michael Jordan it, where you make things up in your head. Like, yeah, and here. so it's a yeah, it's a it's a. I like it better in a case with like a Milwaukee, right, where you bring seven guys in, right, and like they're all kind of, you know coming in as a collective group and like, you know, they're all in the same boat and, you know, it's, yeah. I think it's easier to, for everyone to kind of get in the swing of things. If, if you're a situation where maybe you're just one or two guys, that can be a little bit more tricky. Um, but I think the smart players are the ones that, uh, you know, Walker doers would certainly qualify. Um, and, you know, they come in and they, uh, they do manage to kind of whatever obstacles may be, they, they manage to work through them. And also with Walker doer, he kind of, He's the kind of guy where it's like he doesn't need to score to have an impact necessarily. No, exactly. Like, like whereas the Thomas, he was probably a bit different. I think he was a lot better. Excuse me, in games four and five, um, and you know I expect him to be a, an impact player in that series. But no, I was I've always been curious about that because it, it is it's weird on the surface, right? You it doesn't seem to make sense in a lot of ways, but there are other factors that come into play, and also too, you could get an influx of personnel as we just mentioned on both cases, and yeah, your role changes, but also like the type of touches you're getting could completely change. And it's almost like it's a new game. Like, so for Tomasino, he's playing with different guys, different speed levels. Like I, I can understand a bit more uh, with all that into play. And there are two different, two different games too, right? Like the NHL right. is just a little bit more crisp, a little bit more structured and the AHL, especially in the playoffs. Sloppier. Definitely can be, yeah, it can be a lot more scrambly, a lot more running around. The guys are trying to make things happen. Um, and so, you know, you kind of, you know, go from, you know, like a library environment and now you're in the mosh pit, right? And, right. you know, you're, you know, it's just different, right? And, and, and some guys are able, like a Walker Doer, I think that fits his game better. If you're more of a skill, more of a kind of a structure-based player, that can be, that can be a, a more difficult fit. Let's go to the Atlantic Division taking place in your backyard on Hershey. Uh, Dylan Grant... He, he's kind of an emerging character the last two episodes, one and a half. Don't even know. He's gone from a guy with a high pedigree that you think can figure it out to a kid with a high pedigree that's now figured it out in a big way. And he's had a big statement through six playoff games. 
he was uh, he was kind of the clear guy behind Louis Domingue all season, you know, and you know it was Louis Domingue's net. Uh, it was appearing to be going into the playoffs. Well, the Rangers called him up; they needed him uh, to come up for their playoffs. Right, Dylan Grant, come on down. It's your net now, um, and you know he has played high pressure. Now he was a world world junior goalie last summer for for Canada gold medal. Um, he went to the the conference final last year in the. WHL with Cam Loops. He wants to but this is a whole other he also wants CHL goalie of the year. This is another level though. This is pro. This is one step below the NHL. Um, and this is this is his net now, right? Like and, and they were going up against Providence, uh, especially in that second round. Like th- the way they got past Greenfield is still I'm still trying to work my way through that because um Springfield was just such a mystery to me, the way they really cr- crumbled in the playoffs. So you, you get through that, and you're thinking, okay, all right, that was nice. But now they're playing Providence, Eastern Conference regular season champ. This is going to be a whole other level. And, yeah. and they just walked right through them, right? Like, hit uh, two shutouts, um, one to open the series, one to close the series. Kind of a nice bookend. And um, he had a little bit of a struggle there in game three. Gives, gives up four goals, comes back uh, the next night in game four and just shuts the door, right? Like – He's starting to feel it now. Like he's a young yeah. guy. Uh, I think he had to work through some confidence issues a little bit, you know, which is totally normal. Uh, p- people hear that and they kind of like they make more of it than it is. But this is uh, a rookie in a pro game, um, and he's a goalie, right? Like goalies, it's tough enough as it is for anyone at a- any stage of the career. Never mind a twenty-year-old rookie. He's handling that. Uh, he's got a good head on his shoulders and. Uh, they're now going to run into a Hershey team that I think is gonna put them to a real test. Here's the where it comes down to. Not at all discrediting what you said about his season, how he's done. I even just opened it up. He's been great. But I think that the real turning point of this series will come down to how well Hartford can contain Hershey's offense. Like, if you look back at it, if you look at the Providence series, what was Grant did great. But also, let's give some credit to the people in front of him that really limited the chances sure. he was getting. So sure. now it comes to Hershey having to contain, sorry, pardon me, Hartford having to contain Hershey, and that's not going to be an easy task. Yeah. Uh, Hershey's interesting, right? Like they got, they were a team that was looking like, okay, they're going to sail through the first round, right? Right. Or their second round. Um, <laughs> they go down to Charlotte, they win two, they come, come back to Hershey, all right, it's going to be a formality, right? Well, Charlotte did not uh, go along with that, right? Charlotte took game uh, three, uh, completely dominated start to finish. Uh, it was a 2-1 game, but the score did not reflect anything. Uh, Todd Nelson, three-time uh, cup-winning coach in this league, our, our player assistant and head coach, um, was not happy. Like He's a very even keel. He doesn't tend to get uh, too, too steamed one way or the other, and, and he was really unhappy. Then they come out following night in game four, they have two shots in the entire um, first period, and you're starting to think, okay, this is getting dicey now, right? Like, good shots. All of a sudden, time. yeah. Well, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> very, very precise. Yeah. Well, no, they weren't. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, they exactly. were. Um, they were the furthest thing from that. Yeah, and uh, it went well into the second period. They, they they're down. Uh, they finally get on the scoreboard, right? Like they basically just bull, you know, bullied a goal. You know, like tr- drove the net. You know, kicked it out. Got the yeah, you know, forced the the puck in right. So they're down two right. one. 
Um, Then they go down late in the period, second period. They have to kill back-to-back Charlotte power plays. Uh, I believe they were seven seconds apart. Um, 15 seconds to go in the period. They they get an odd man rush. Uh, Jerry Mayhew uh, of Charlotte is the only guy back. He is not a defenseman, but he's stretched. They convert a breakaway. 2-2 2-2 game, they're on their way. So I think they got a real scare put into them. And I think that was good. Um, they needed that. Uh, yeah. They needed that early, like, sense of, like, like Coachella Valley, like, you know, how it could help them. It's the same thing. Yeah. A little kick in the butt early on could always really yeah. do favors. It's if you had, you know, sailed through those first three games and everything was good, um, now you're into a, a Hartford team that's really feeling it. That yeah. could be a That could be a tough matchup in that sense. So – um, I, I actually, you know, in a round roundabout way for, for Hershey, I like the fact that they got to kind of put through that test. Um, and Hartford is going to be interesting. Like, um, I like this matchup for Hershey better than it had it been Providence because Providence just gave them all kinds of trouble all season, right? Um, Providence would have been a really bad matchup for Hershey. Um, they had a better, you know, better feel for things against Hartford during the season, but I was also a much different Hartford team. I was going to so, say, yeah. So you can only read so much into that. So I think this is going to be a, this is going to be a good good one. I think this one's going four or five uh, pretty easily. I don't see a sweep one way or the other. Right. I, I'm pretty sold on Durand, but like get through this one. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I know what you're saying. And this one, if you can pull this series out, then I'm like, all right, you know, that, then you're really for real. Like, he's, yeah, I'm all I'm all for the hype. I'm here for it. Yeah. It's more so kind of like let's just, and that's why I mentioned the kind of how well Hartford was limiting Providence's chances because that was a factor. And also like, let, let's, let's call a spade a spade. Like what Dustin Wolf is doing at 20 and 21, that's not the norm. So I know on our show, we talk about this Dustin Wolf guy and like now Dylan Garand doing it. Like this is crazy. So this is not the norm. So I got to see a bit more before I see HL goalies of the year. Just come. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Usually. Hey, laying waste to the entire NHL. Yeah, exactly. This is the new trend that we're seeing. Okay, <laughs> um, before we sign off, Scott Housen resigned multi-year extension. Uh, obviously, a lot was surrounding that, but just curious, Pat, like what you know since David Andrews left and, and now Scott Housen's in the fold, like what he's had to navigate through these couple of years. I'd be interested to kind of get your thoughts on. Well, so he uh, the because what was his first official year? I know he was in that, but when was the fir- the COVID year? He came in July of 2020. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. He was actually hired uh, March had... of 2020, right around when the whole COVID thing really broke out. Um, uh, so he comes in, inherits that situation, also taking <laughs> over for a guy you know who was a fixture in the league. Yes. Um, that first year was remember the HL went ten months between games, like you know, yeah. because the HL didn't have the summer bubble like the NHL did. That was right. The HL shut it down in March of 2020, and that was it. And they didn't come back till February, um, yeah. the following following year. They played that that abbreviated season, which was mostly just about getting players some games. It wasn't, you know, there was no playoffs. There was no. And keep in mind the economic elements with independent teams that he was navigating yeah. there too, right? We're getting guys games, great, but there's markets in this league that you know we're losing out on money, unfortunately. Yeah, I sat in those empty buildings, and it was, uh, yeah. You know, this is a league, you know, there's not television. It's not like the NHL exactly. where you can, you know, you don't have the huge multi, you know. Gate revenue is very important in this league. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, 
anywhere, depending on who you believe, 85 to 90 percent uh, of your revenue is gate, right? So that wasn't there uh, for the most part. You know, there was totally. a handful of buildings where you were able to put in you know, 500 fans if you were lucky. Like I remember even being in Hershey and it was, you know, I think they matched out at a thousand. So that was in a 10,500 seat building and it was empty for all intents and purposes. Um, they come back last year. Things start to seem like they're okay. And then the, the that, that resurgence of COVID hit. That was the um, period where the NHL brought back the taxi squads, right? Mid-season on the fly. You had one in one month span. I'll never forget this stat. You had over 1,500 transactions across the HL. Guys coming Is that back. That typo. Forth. It's one fifty. You probably clicked <laughs> zero again. Man. Nope. I uh, I double checked it. I couldn't believe my own eyes. Uh, and so uh, they got through last season relatively intact, even with that midseason uh, situation. This year, I think it's been really the first normal year now since 2018-19 where yeah. you know, it's, it's felt like okay, this is this is the old AHL. So the first three years have just been putting out one fire after the next. Uh, I'll be interested to see kind of now where do they take this, right? Like what sort of stamp? Um, yeah, has... I don't know how you could judge a guy one way or the other on the last couple of years. Like now it's almost like his job is starting if you really think about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just being he... honest. Like I'm not saying like, and, and again, we plan to have Scott on the show and it's going to be awesome to hear his perspective and, and his input on things as a whole. But like kind of what you outlined there with the COVID season and then the complications last year. Not only was he just putting out fires, but he was almost like they were on the fly creating this new league. Like every week we would get these different sort of either taxi squad or roster implication kind of things. And everyone had to navigate that. And then everyone's going to naturally become upset in some ways. Like, you know what I mean? Like that wasn't an easy situation. Yeah, and he got got some early victories there. He got the the schedule um, streamlined, the 72 games. That was a huge victory, I think probably um, best course of action for the math challenge to bonus, especially like we appreciate that. Yep. Um, Thank you for that. Um, um, the new playoff format came in. So you got more players uh, getting playoff experience. So that was something the NHL and the HL wanted to do. So, you know, he, you know, he, given the, you know, what he was up against, he's had some victories and now, now it'll be an opportunity to see, okay, what, what's his, what's the next what's his step? vision? Yeah. What's his next step? Where, where are we going yep. here? Totally. Um, it should be a, you know, because with Dave Andrews, we always kind of knew this is how Dave operated. Right. Um, and every state uh, of the union Scott Housen had, it's like the first, like, it's all about like the state of the league that no one really has had time to talk about kind of what his stamps would be on. Yeah. Like, right. Like, you know, if the house is burning down, you don't yeah, have time to, you know, we can't make dinner. We can't make casserole. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. You're not planting the garden anytime soon. So, right. so now things are steady, knock on wood. Um, and, um, We'll see where this goes here, you know, over the next couple of years. Uh, and I'm happy to hear what Scott says. I'm sure he'll give some good insight or at least an idea of what the last couple of years have been like and what uh, the next kind of phase is. All right. That's it for today's show. Uh, where will we be? My favorite question at every show off. Where will we be next week in the sort of mix things? The we'll be right in the, we'll, we'll be, be the right middle. in the thick of this uh, series. Uh, most series at that point should be around games three, maybe four, depending on the series. I personally have to say that I'm very much in favor of the back-to-back game one and two because I love how much you can get within like 24, 48 hours, how much can change in a series. So I'm all for that, I will say. 
that's all for me. Pat, any closing remarks? You're good? No, just uh, down to the final eight now. Uh, Elite let's, eight. See, uh, let's see what they have. We'll update you in a week when we know more. All right. Thank you for listening, folks, and take care.